When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast had heard how the Lord had dried up the river Jordan so the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. At that time, the Lord told Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise this second generation of Israelites. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male, male population of Israel oh, at <laughs> Gibbeth Haraloth. Let's say that. Joshua had to circumcise them because all the men who were old enough to fight in the battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, but none of those born after the Exodus, during the years in the wilderness, had been circumcised. The Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died. For they had disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord vowed he would not let them enter the land he had sworn to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So Joshua circumcised their sons, those who had grown up to take their father's places, for they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. So that place has been called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. The very next day they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, so from that time on the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Thank you, Emily. May God's name be blessed through public reading of his words. Joshua is a very special book for me. It's the first book of the Old Testament that I ever studied when I became a Christian. It's the first book of the Old Testament that I've studied in English because we didn't have an Old Testament in Albanian. And uh, it's good to come back and to uh, reconnect with it in a way that is at a slower pace. I was just finished with Psalms, as I said earlier on, and now we're going back to the Old Testament. So this is the sixth book of the Testament. The, this is the, the book that actually um, is a book of transition. There is a, a leadership transition. Moses, who has led the people for so many years, has died. And now Joshua 
is in the scene of leadership. And it's been interesting how God has prepared and raised Joshua to be in this position. And it only, I only learned it this week that actually, if you look at the book of Numbers, Joshua's name is Hoshea, which is, um, he saves. And actually, it's, it's Moses who gives Joshua the new name and is Joshua, uh, the Lord is salvation. And it fits very well with the theme of the book. It's a book of transition, not only of leadership, but it's also where the people of Israel are. They've been wandering in the desert. They've been wandering in the wilderness for many years. And, and with that prospect that one day they're going to go in the promised lands. And now they've crossed the River Jordan in a miraculous way. And it's, it's this new chapter that is for them. Uh, what is God going to do with his people? How are they going to respond to that? So it's, it's, it's from outside of the land now. They've moved into the land. And it's interesting how, how um, the author is picking up on things here that are so, so descriptive. So we come to chapter 5. And chapter 5 is this kind of new stage where they are. They've just miraculously crossed the Jordan River at the peak of its flow. God has, has, has moved um, everything to make it happen that the, the, the Israelites cross over the river in a miraculous way and they are safe now. This brings to a closure all the wanderings. This brings to light the prospect that the promises of God will be fulfilled. So it's exciting time. It's an exciting time for the people. And here we've got Joshua. They've crossed the river. It's a big group of people, and they've heard the stories of God's greatness. And as you see this cohort of people moving, the opening verse of the chapter is that when the kings of the west of Jordan heard and they saw and realize that they've crossed, they were really scared. So my first point today is that when God acts, is noticeable. We, we, we know, and what we've read so far from the Old Testament, is that the Old Testament... Um, Actually, the, 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 the initial world was very uh, pantheistic. They had all sorts of gods. And it's very interesting how uh, for these guys, the Amalekites and the Amorites and the Canaanites, they, they, they've got their own gods. And they see what has happened 
with this group of people crossing the Jordan. And they wonder. They compare. They hear the stories how God has created food, daily food in the wilderness for them, the manas, the birds. How God has journeyed with his people for 40 years with a pillar of fire and the clouds, the pillar of clouds. How he has imparted and departed seas and rivers. No wonder it makes them feel this way. Because when God acts, it's noticeable. It's really stuck with me this week as I've been preparing this because sometimes we can be inferior towards the, the, what we've said. God is strong. God is a big God, huge. He is amazing. He's full of love. And we can use that inferiority, even ourselves, that be dismissive. But when God is act, when he is acting, it's obvious. And there is this kind of sense of awe and weird feeling that actually acknowledge the almighty power of God and yet not know what to do with it. But it's obvious here. When God acts, it's noticeable. And coming to that idea of if the church, Cairns Road, has been called to be bringing the hope of Jesus to Westbury Park and beyond, well, we want to see God act. We want to be expectant for God to act so it's noticeable. So his glory shines, so his kingdom is ushered and is changing lives. Even in the impossible situations from the human perspective. So, I read this. And I see the wandering of people of Israel for 40 years. And they've just crossed the Jordan River, not knowing whether they're going to promised land or not. And God has worked in such a way that is noticeable for the people, but also for others who are watching. Everybody is watching how the church who believes in the resurrected Christ is going to respond to the crisis. Everybody is watching whether they give you the gist that they're watching or they are not giving you the gist that they're watching. How we, as God's people, full of hope, full of belief in the resurrection of Jesus, are responding to the economical crisis, to the political crisis, to the identity crisis. When God acts, it's noticeable. And through this time in the history of the world, God has chosen to act through his church. Through you and me. What a privilege. 
What an honor. What a responsibility. So how can we then encourage one another? How can we come alongside one another? How can we support one another that we make this known? The second thing that I want to bring out of this passage is that it's important that we see how significant this place, Gilgal, is. This is the place of spiritual revival. This is a place of getting the relationship with God good. This is the place of restoration. As I said, it's a place, uh, book of Joshua, it's a book of transition. Transition of leadership, transition of place. But also, as we'll see later on, there's other things that are changing. And in the midst of this change, God has not taken his eye over his people and how precious he is for this relationship to be enjoyed. So what's going on in Gilgal? Well, they are trying to recall, as I said on the video, if you listen to it, uh, in chapter 3 and 4, they, they, they build up stones to build memorials so they can look at those story, stones and they say, oh, do you remember how God delivered us and brought us to the promised land and we crossed the river Jordan? The power of symbols. Now, he's going to, to in chapter 5, there's two things that are happening here to, to, to strengthen the conviction and the identity of God's people. The first thing is circumcision. This is not just something that happens off the cuff. Uh, Joshua feels like all the men should be circumcised and that's what happens. No. It was part of the symbol of God's relationship with Abraham. It was the sign of adoption. The sign of God being the father, then being their, his children. So what a great way to be in this new soil and be reminded of this fellowship, father, son. And the other thing that happens, consequently, is the celebration of the Passover. So not only to be reminded of this relationship they have with ah, the promises that God has made to, be, to Abraham and the rest of the blessings that come with it and him being the father and them being the children, but also God is going to remind them that the reason why they celebrate Passover is because he's brought them out of slavery. And he has brought them out of slavery with his mighty power. So this fellowship, this right relationship with God is necessary before they move on forwards. And it's very interesting. Chapter 5 is a very strange chapter. Joshua has just moved into the land. They're ready to conquer. And God says, no, wait a moment. All the men need to be circumcised. Joshua, men of action... Let's get on with this. And God's timing 
and strategy is different. Because God is going to address the neglect that they have caused to his relationship with them. God is going to allow time for them to be healed physically, spiritually, and to come to their senses that actually the reason why they are where they are is because God wants them to be there. God wants this fellowship restored. We can sing all day about God's unfailing love. But unless we respond to this unfailing love with loving him back, what is the point? Because his unfailing love is for us to enjoy our fellowship with him. So the right relationship is put before God proceeds action. I said earlier on, there is a change, transition, and we said the things of the place and who they were as the people in this place, the leadership. But what's changing as well is that manna, the daily provision of God, stopped. Now, they can resource themselves with God's natural rather than supernatural provision of food. It's a change. And it's interesting how, how very little we know about the response of the people in this change. And if you're like me, I'm not very good with change. And one lesson that we learn from Joshua chapter 5 is that although things are changing, God is in control and he, in his provision, he's able to match whatever they need in order for this change to happen. So again, goes back to that relationship. From manna, now you're going to have normal food. What chapter 5 doesn't say to us is whether this is the time where the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud stopped. What happened to the tabernacle? But there is change. And God provides and matches the needs of the people as he allows this change to happen. And the fourth observation that I've got for this morning is that last part of Joshua chapter 5. And I'm going to read it because it's so, so important. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, city with walls, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither, he replied. I am commander of the Lord's army. At this, 
Joshua fell at his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua says. What do you want your servant to do? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did what he was told. Who else had a sandals moment? Moses. Moses. He was on holy ground. Now, all this week I've read different commentators, whether he's, um, this is an angel or this is something else, or this is the, the, the pre-incarnate Christ that is um, shown before Joshua. And um, it's different debates going on um, about this. I think with my understanding of the scriptures and what I see here, I would be in favor of the pre-incarnate Christ. The only reason why I say that is that when angels have appeared in other parts of the scripture, they have not allowed God's servants to bow down before them. You see that in Daniel, you see that in Revelation, you see that in other parts of the scripture. Whereas here, there is this moment that, 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 that uh, Joshua falls in his face to the ground in reverence. But, that is not my point, fourth point. My fourth point is that this is a rare point in the history of God's people where their leader the people and God are in harmony Joshua is following the people are following and God is leading. Remember? Joshua. God is salvation. So in order to be a good leader, this is application for myself, you need to be a good follower. And there is many options out there to follow. Joshua had options. But yet he had to stop and recognize and be available at God's service. And God used him. So, just to wrap it up, when God acts, it's noticeable. From Joshua chapter 5, it's important that we recognize that the right relationship with God is paramount for God to precede action. Thirdly, it's important to recognize and notice that amidst change, God provides and matches the needs 
but the changes that he's asking for his people. And fourthly, Joshua is a leading follower. What does this mean for us today? Well, we're not just reading the Bible because it's a good reading club. We want for us to read together, to know God better, and to grow in Him. So I come to this, and I say, God, I really, really, down deep within me, I want you to be noticeable and to act in my life, to act in the life of this church, to act in this community. Perhaps you've been challenged today that maybe your relationship with God is not as harmonious as it should be. So this is that invitation. He provides because he wants that. He's full of loving kindness and and unfailing love. Perhaps uh, you're sitting here and you're thinking, oh, change. Whether it's change of government, whether it's change of your situation. And if God is in this, we should not lose sight of the fact that he's going to provide and match all the needs for us to go through this change. And in order for us to be leading, to be bringing this hope, we need to be good followers. So again, today, as your pastor, I am with face down and saying, God, here I am at your service to lead you guys. But also... I want you to do the same. Lord, lead us and bring us to that place where you want us to be so that your glory shines, that your name is praised and your kingdom is materialized. I'll leave it here. Aaron is going to come and bring us uh, to a close with a final song. But if you feel like you wanted to pray with somebody or you've got the sense that there is a particular thing, you want to pray, um, I, I'm available, Iron is available, the elders are available after the service, but don't leave this, go behind. Thank you, Mackie. Our final song is a kind of sending song into the world this week. Um, not wishing to add to the sermon at all, but I'm just aware sometimes we hear these sort of sending songs. We say, oh, I've got to do all these things. One thing I heard, which kind of resonates with what Matthew was saying over the, over the summer, was, and, and, and this isn't like God's word, this is just one thing I heard somebody say, um, we shouldn't be in the world for Christ, we should be in Christ for the world. And I'm just trying to work that through. 
Um, and, and you know, I think the danger is we go out and go, we've got to do all this stuff. Actually, as Mackie said, we've got to be in Christ, follow Christ, bow down to Christ for the world. So stand with me. We'll sing this together um, as our sort of sending song as we think about what Mackie's said. One, two, three, four. Darkness. 
So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you as he moves towards you with his goodness and give you peace today and forevermore. Amen. God bless you.